Hello, and welcome to the official podcast for the 31st Annual FIRST Conference. We're looking forward to welcoming you to the conference in Edinburgh, Scotland, 16th to the 21st of June. I'm your co-host, Chris John Riley, And I'm your other co-host, Martin McKay. Thanks for listening. Live at the first conference in Edinburgh, Martin and I are lucky enough to be talking to Monica Witte from the University of Melbourne. You've just got off the stage from your keynote, which was discussing uh, developing a conceptual model for insider threat. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, uh, very interesting talk, a lot of uh, very interesting information. Maybe you can give uh, the listeners a, a quick elevator pitch on what you talked about. Okay. Um, so, I looked at insider threat, um, but from a more psychological perspective. Um, it was looking at research that we did that was funded by CPNI, looking at how we might detect um, insiders in organizations. Um, and part of the work was the computing scientists looking at what they might look at, what kind of indicators they might look at. But from the psychological perspective, it was looking at the profile of the insider, so what what is their psychological makeup, um, how they might behave, um, and their pathways uh, to moving towards doing the attacks as well. So it's 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 very often kind of a mistaken um, context that, that people come into the organisation maybe just planning to be malicious, which is not necessarily always the case, right? So the, the data that you showed was a majority of people kind of move into becoming an insider threat as opposed to joining a company just just to do that. Uh, yeah, it's a mix, I guess. So there are people that will be doing the insider attack within months of being in that organization. There might be people actually that are there for a while to to actually do a reconnaissance of the organisation before they do the hit. Um, but there are others that had no intention whatsoever, like um, the example I gave with the bingo ladies who were friends for many, many years in the bank um, and played bingo and then eventually decided for whatever reasons they'd commit fraud um, to um, for self-gain. So they're a good example of someone that's been there for years and years. So. What we might think of in terms of the stereotype of an insider, I think this research probably questions. And a couple of things that I saw was that first, this was data-driven research. This was mm-hmm. looking at statistics over, I think you said, 99 different examples of um, the, of fraud and the, of insider threat. Um, and that's not always what we get. We get a lot of opinions mm-hmm. and, and uh, viewpoints, but this is this is the data, and that's a yeah. lot hard, harder to argue with. Yeah, it took a long time to analyze too. <laughs> but one of the things that you said early, or, or sort, sort of about midway through, is that a lot of organizations are looking at the are, are not necessarily looking at the right insider threat as the primary because you saw that addiction, whether it's a, a chemical addiction or gambling or some other sort of addiction, is a much bigger indicator, I guess is the right word, of a potential insider threat than anything else. Yeah, definitely. In terms of the archetypes of what these uh, insider threat cases were, the the addictive person was up there as the highest one. Um, and probably because they're just not dealt with very well in organizations. Um, 
in terms of the way HR might deal with them or a manager might deal with them and they just keep slipping through until eventually they, they do some harm to the organisation, um, probably because of their addiction. Um, so yeah, it was it was surprising um, to find that out. We went, we didn't expect that. So yeah, and whereas the disgruntled employee was way down the list, which is the one we often look at in the research. And it doesn't mean that the disgruntlement's not important, but it's not as key as what this um, research has found. So how does this tie to um, internal versus external pressure for you know, maybe insider threat? So mm-hmm. an internal entity working with someone externally, is that addiction piece statistically interesting for outsider pressure on those people or yeah. is this mostly still an in- inside? Yeah, that's a good question. So in terms of the addicted uh, people, some of them did work with external agents as well. Um, and so they're vun- vulnerable already anyway. Um, and I'm not saying all of them, but there were some cases where they were working with an outsider who was persuading them. Um, and that way they could you know, get the money that they needed to fuel their addiction as well. So they're easy prey for an outsider. And I guess that's part of what this research was finding. I think it was about... 32%, something like that, um, of the insiders weren't working alone. They were working with a group, um, and often that may have involved an outsider with that person as well, directing them, influencing them um, to do the attack. So when we think of insiders, we think of them as a, a lone kind of predator or whatever. And I think this research finds we've got a whole mixed bag of people, and some of them are not operating alone. Well, one of the hardest things about the work you're doing is this is all in hindsight. Mm. These are these are not necessarily indicators that can be used across an organization to find the person who's most mm. likely to be responsible for an insider threat. These are, oh, looking back, because I think you say at one point, you found no instances where somebody said, oh, yeah, we knew all along he was going to be a threat. It was instead every single instance was, oh, we never thought about this person being the insider threat, but looking back on it, mm. it should have been obvious. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how, what was, is there, is there something that you can do along those lines? And when I say you, I mean, the listener, the, the corporations, um, or is that something you're going to need to go back in a year or two and start figuring out how to measure some of those things? Yeah, I mean, I guess some of the things we measured afterwards looked at them over time. But you're right, the the hindsight indicators, um, to me, it suggests that we don't necessarily treat these indicators as this is a bad person about to do an attack, because that's not the inevitable result of someone that has an addiction or has hardships or whatever. Um, But our um, cyber indicators and our you know, natural observation indicators when our managers pick up, um, they could be, these people could be helped and supported, right? And then an attack may not happen to that organisation. People go through difficult situations in life and some people act badly, perhaps as a consequence and also about their psychological makeup, but not everyone does. But if we highlight these issues in organisations, then we might find better ways to treat employees as well. And it protects the organisation ultimately. So it sounds a lot like um, we're, we're pointing towards people who are in tough situations, yeah. people who have been maybe treated badly by the company through having an addiction, having social problems, uh, you know, Asperger's or, or any any other kind of situation where 
the company who they're working for maybe doesn't provide the support that mm. the, the employee is expecting. So the company in theory then is breaking the social contract of you will look after me as an employee. Does that then lead to people who, who are the insider threat thinking this is right, I, I deserve this, therefore that this is something that's fine to do? Yeah, um, yes and no. I think, I guess uh, that, and that's a group of people, right? And there's some, there are some people that are there just to cause harm and they really are the bad dudes, right? Um, but I think sometimes in organisations, HR might be thinking they are trying to support them in, in their minds, but actually the support they do doesn't really help. Um, they get marginalised, they get thrown here and there, um, rather than setting up a programme perhaps to help them, for instance. Um, and in some ways they want to do the right thing by not discriminating against them, but that's not necessarily supporting them. And do they go, does the addicted person go about to deliberately hurt the organisation? Some might, but I think some are more concerned about fueling their addiction. I think that's the main motivation. And so whatever's in the way, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and if they're not being supported, then they're going to drive, keep going down that pathway. If that, does that make sense? It makes sense, certainly. I mean, and one of the points as well that I think you, you brought up during the presentation was that uh, in hindsight, we're gathering, or you've gathered a lot mm. of data for these cases, but it, that's a lot of personal data. Mm. You know, if, if you could gather all of that data continuously, you know, what, what people's habits are inside, outside work, maybe you could start to identify, maybe not the insider threat, but the people who are more likely to be prone to that. Mm. But that's not the kind of data that any company should be collecting. Right? Mm. That's a huge amount of personal data. Mm. That's a that's an invasion of privacy in, in almost all cases. So you can't really drive the science in that direction without becoming Big Brother. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's also another point there too, and that some of the data that organizations are collecting about their employees tell us something psychologically about them, even though we didn't realize that connection was happening. So for example, doing a lot more online activities before hours, for instance, or overall, when you just look at it, it just looks like they're doing a lot of stuff online. But actually, we, from the research that we did, we found that that might tell us something about their anxiety levels or might tell us something about their personality, maybe being narcissistic. That's something that they were collecting without the intention of learning that. But now they can learn that. You know, what should they be doing with that data? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> The inferences that we can make about that data are more than what was originally intended. Um, and yeah, and, and putting a, a cluster of data points together and going, oh gosh, that could be an insider, I think is really dangerous. Well, you raise a really good point, which is that the number of false positives that could accidentally mm -hmm. be identified by collecting the data that would identify an insider mm -hmm. is probably much more dangerous for companies than the ins the insider threat that themselves are. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Not everyone who tweets from the toilet at six o'clock in the morning is a narcissist. <laughs> Not everyone. Not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the, the, the follow-up really is, where is this going to lead us right now? Do we understand or mm. well, we understand more now with this, this you know, empirical data about kind of where where people sit? But in hindsight, where does that take companies who want to improve their insider threat program? Mm. What's the thing that they can do to try and 
be more proactive in these areas? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, obviously the science we did could improve their <clears throat> automatic detection, but I, I'm feeling that we shouldn't be going down that pathway completely. I think we, we need to see people, um, the data that we're looking at, as people behind that data, right? Not just data points. I think that's often lost in in what we do and with data. Um, and so, an organisation needs to think about what is valuable in terms of looking at people and and discuss these with their employees and see what what is acceptable for them. Because if you push that threshold to way the other way, that monitoring could actually get a whole bigger group people of people being insiders. Um, and I guess the the research is saying, how do we support people who might be going down potentially a wrong path or that need support? Um, and also, I guess, do the language that we use about this these people who, you know, companies might call them as threats, but actually there might be people in need of, of support as well. Um, but also, the other way, I mean, there were some bad people in our in our data set. That's not to be, you know, sneezed at. That's really important too. So the research also found that we need to think about our vetting procedures a little bit more. So there were people that had criminal backgrounds that were got, getting through because that wasn't picked up. There were people that had bad behaviours in the previous workplaces and that was never picked up. So thinking about our interviewing techniques and what we might look at, um, but also where the boundaries around what we would look at too, you know, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. Um, is there follow-up research that you'll be doing or is this kind of the point where you're comfortable with it? Um, yeah, well, what we are moving towards now is actually looking at specific organisations and working with them. So what we've learnt here is now moving to organisations looking at their particular uh, threats or uh, particular issues and um, looking at the organisational structures as well. Um, I obviously can't name those organisations at the moment, so <laughs> but but I think this is where you get to fine-tune the science a lot more um, because with this work it was so broad over many, many different organisations, right? And so it's not going to apply to everyone. So looking at the actual organisation and their real issues and how we might work with them in terms of their structures. Great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us. It was a very interesting discussion and I look forward to uh, some future research. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the official podcast of the 31st Annual FIRST Conference. We look forward to seeing you in Edinburgh, June 16th through 21st.